Hey, 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 this is episode two with Cindy Elliott on Necessary Pursuit. If you missed the first episode, just go back one. You don't want to miss that. It's a nice little segue into this second half of this conversation that I had with her. Uh, Cindy's great. I love her. I met her about seven years ago, as we discussed at the beginning of the first episode. And um, we're going to dive right into the rest of her leadership, life, future, career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is Necessary Pursuit, Cindy Elliott. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that passion to do something, anything, it's probably intrinsic. I don't know. I, I would like to believe that people are born with some kind of commitment or like some kind of passion to be committed to things. But obviously we know that that's not necessarily always the case. Or maybe it's not that it's not always the case, Jane. Maybe it's just people don't know what it is. I don't know that, I don't know that I thought making strides was going to be my passion. Like that, like I was, I, ha, I haven't been, I wasn't a childhood philanthropist. Like I, it, it, it happened. So yeah, let's, so let's get, I, that's, I wanted to ask you because I don't know, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to, I want to get an idea of where, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to, um, I want to get an idea of where it came from. So that's something that like, I think <clears throat> speaks to you as to how you were raised, what, what brought you to this like level of where you're at and then having so much care and excitement and commitment to giving back to others. Like so, who, 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 who brought you to this level? There may be one person or 20, really but like. Growing up, my mother was the kind of person who would rent out my room while I still lived in it. Like okay. not actually rent it out, <laughs> but like, um, you know, my mom is the kind of person who my mother believes don't lend something that you can't afford not getting back. Like that's, that's been her philosophy. Gotcha. Forever. If I'm going to lend you $50, my expectation, if I can give it to you, I don't expect it back. If you pay me back, great. But I have always been taught that if I'm going to give you something, if I'm going to lend you something, I should, I should just be giving it to you. If you can mm -hmm. pay me back or you can give it back to me, that's great. Awesome. But don't ever lend something that you can't afford to not get back is how my mom believes. She's also the kind of person who, I swear, I think she spent her entire life just trying to pay it forward mm -hmm. in hopes that if ever me and my brother needed anything, there'd be this like universe of people out there that like owed her that would take care of us. Okay. So yeah. that being the type of person that raised me, like whether, I think when I was, you know, when you're young, everything you, everything your parents do is like weird, you know? Right. Like just generally. But I think, when I was younger, I used to be so annoyed. Like my mom would have cousins come from the island and they would be living with us for months and months and months or cousins from New Like I can't tell you how many cousins lived with me when I was growing up. And when I was a kid, I was annoyed by this, right? Because it meant I had to share my bed or my room or like mm -hmm. my favorite snack got eaten or like I just had to be mindful of some other person. Or when I was old enough to babysit, I had to watch kids that weren't my, weren't my sibling, you know, like whatever right. it was. But some of that must have poured into me in some way, shape or form. And it shows itself in common ways, like, you know, me lending somebody money or lending them something common ways. But then I think that that part of that triggers, you know, part of that has to do with this making strides thing. and why it felt so commonplace for me once I got into it, once I was mm -hmm. committed to it, which I don't think I was committed for years, right? 
but once I was in it, I was in it. And, and I, and I, I would have to attribute that to my mom, right? She was raised with nine brothers and sisters. She's like the middle. My father also has like 10 brothers and sisters. Um, and, and he, you know, they're in the middle. So like, she just was always around people. And I think just, she always had to sacrifice or give. And for my mom, it didn't feel like a sacrifice or that she was giving. And and she's still like that. Like she's mm-hmm. still the person who puts her needs aside for others. And I don't know that I'm as, I don't know that I'm as generous or gracious as she is. Um, but lots of that stems from her example. I w- and mm-hmm. I find myself consistently saying I would rather be like her than not like her, um, which I never thought I would say as a child. As a child, I wanted to be the complete opposite of my mother. Um, but now I find myself going, well, like, you know, people say, what would Jesus do? I'm like, what would Haiti Bonilla do? That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> and um, and it, it doesn't leave me wrong. And I always end up feeling better about things than worse. So maybe that's part of it. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I think it's probably the common storm of everything. I mean, I grew up a military child. So, you know, part of what makes me is that I was moving every three years and I had to like learn new people. I think one of the things that I texted you about when I listened back to our recording was that. I talk very quickly. I'm trying to be really cognizant about that this time. But part of that is natural for me because I only had so many minutes to like get somebody's attention or to win people over. And Mm -hmm. so I spent the good majority of my life honing my charisma, my adolescent life, at least honing my charisma. And um, what that turns you into is a really great salesperson, really good pitch lady, you know, and Mm -hmm. then when things align themselves with that type of scenario, it just works out. And I think making strides and all of the things that they do aligned itself with the fact that I'm a really great pitch person. You know, I know that you are a great pitch person. (laughs) That is for sure. I know that I miss strides about as much as they missed me this year. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it wasn't just me not being a part of the team. I also, for years, I've been a volunteer also. So in addition to being a team leader and the 40 hours of work that that takes, I was also, um, I was also the past few years, the social media chair. Um, mm-hmm. And when I gave up, uh, I gave that up first, right? I stepped back from that role first. And so for strides, I know that they missed me as much as I missed them. I was receiving many communications and many emails and, Oh, it's so weird having meetings without you. And Oh, it's so weird not seeing you at events. And like, so I think it's just a matter of aligning yourself. I aligned myself really well with the things that work for me. And sometimes I don't, <laughs> but I'm getting really good at figuring out what those things are. And I think that that's great. I don't know if I answered your question. I think I kind of. No, you did. You did. Place. You talked about your mom. I mean, that's just basically, you know, like when you look at, when you look back on inspirational people, right? For me, I've had, I'm like similar to you, you just explained about your mom and your dad and having siblings, big families. I grew up in a household where there were eight people living in one house, six of them being me and my five siblings and myself and then my two parents. And I remember growing up and at one point we had moved, um, my, my oldest brother was, I think had like just moved out of the house 
And then my second oldest brother was graduating high school. So the house we were in was not really too small anymore, but we were still moving. We needed a different space. And we moved to a town not too far away. And I remember at that point, my younger brothers were like at the point where they were old enough to, you know, they weren't in like cribs or like anything like that anymore. They were in beds, their own beds. But I remember then sharing a bedroom with my two younger brothers. My sister had her own room. She was the only girl. So she always had her own room, rightfully so. She um, was a senior in high school, I think, or like going into her senior year when we moved. But I remember being like, always in the middle. I was a middle child. But looking up to my older siblings, looking up to my parents, all of my cousins were older than me that I was like closest with, I guess you could say, because they were around my older siblings more so. I had a lot of younger cousins and cousins of the same age, but I was always looking up to the people that were a little bit older than me because that's who I was getting a ride with to school or getting a ride with to the mall or getting a ride with, you know, if I don't want to ride with my parents to a, a, a family gathering, I would go with my older sibling or cousin or somebody else. So I was always around older people, which brought me that level of like, I would see, um, I guess, more responsible actions in life. But then I still felt the responsibility to care for my younger siblings, where I was the one that was kind of home from school after they got home, when they came home. You know what I mean? Like my parents were working and I kind of, I gathered my, my skill set of just kind of being the responsible one from my older siblings and my parents being in the middle and then being the person that gave that you know, care and, and, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it to the younger half of my family. So you have to, you know, you gather those tools and you gather your skill set from a very early age and you seeing your, your mom being that person, you know, like you said, rented out your room, not necessarily, but my parents were the same way. If they could help somebody and to, they are to this day, and I'm the same way, if I can help somebody and I can leave them better than any condition that I found them in, whether it's lending them a dollar or, you know, getting them gas in their car, if they run out of gas on the side of the road, they say, don't help strangers. You don't know what's going to, well, okay, but you don't know what's going to happen if you, you know, sit at the, park at the red then? light too long. We are all, yeah, exactly. We're all strangers. So, you know, I'm not going to pull over on the side of the road and there's no, you know, uh, lights on the road at three in the morning on a dark road in the middle of the night, but you know, you use your judgment. And that's something I always ask people too. Do you always trust your gut? I always trust my gut. And it honestly, it hasn't really ever failed me. I have said this before and people think I'm crazy, but it's, it's one of those things where there's something in your system that tells you to do something, right? Brain activity, whatever it is, whatever that thing is that's driving you, like we're on a phone call right now and I'm recording this conversation. A year ago on January 1st, 2023, I had this idea to start a podcast and now I'm one season in, I've got seven episodes recorded. This one being one that we're re-recording, but I, you know, something told me to do it and I'm having a blast doing it. I've never done it before. I've screwed up a hundred calls. I've screwed up the audio to our first call. I'm trying to get the, the devices together to record with, and then finding out that I don't need that much stuff that I've spent money on. Like it's all those mistakes you make. Same as what you've done 14 years ago with making strike. You build those blocks and you keep going and eventually you get to where you need to be. And then you pass the torch or you continue to do great work. You know, you've learned from somebody like your mom who, whether she knew it or not, was teaching you how to be a great leader and a giving person, a philanthropist, a great mother, all the things that you got already, you've got from somewhere. And you don't want to just say, oh, it just came from my mom. But that's the person who 
essentially gave you that initial like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my hands out and you can, I'll, I'll hoist you up over the fence. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel you. I'm gonna challenge that um, trust your gut thing because I don't know, I don't know. Not that I don't trust my guts. I just don't always know if my gut. of me like protecting me naturally right like naturally mm -hmm. the kid is set in there to keep cavemen from you know wandering into their death or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be but i don't always know that my gut necessarily has my best instincts in mind so although i listen to my gut i think part of my ongoing growth experience is asking the why like challenging why my gut is putting me where it is or doing what it's you know like i think okay the strides example is a perfect example if i would have followed my gut i would have gotten out of that situation like i would not have been the captain of the team and i think i'm I, there's a probably like dozens of times in my life where my gut said don't go here don't do this don't because I just didn't want to, or I just didn't feel like it. And I went against my gut and it worked out for the better. So I, I, it's not that I don't listen to my gut, but I do, I do question my gut. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I, I don't go blindly wherever my body tells me to go or my mind tells me to go, because I know that sometimes that's just going to keep me in a space where I'm comfortable. And uh, I want to live a life that's like passionate and exciting. And that sometimes means that I can't just be comfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me personally, um, following my gut isn't necessarily the rule of the road. I think it's following my maybe passion, maybe intuition. I don't know, which is pretty much the same thing, I guess. I'm just really cognizant of asking the question, right? If it's a no, why mm -hmm. is it a no? If something's telling me not to do this, why? Is it because I'm yeah, walking? Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, so that's, I think that would be where I differ in that space is that I, and that's just recently. I think when I made the decision to be the Strides team leader, it wasn't because I was trying to be like bright or, or self or self-aware at all. Mm -hmm. I, I was absolutely I don't want to say bullied, but I was absolutely convinced and manipulated into doing it. But I think within the last few years, the last five or six years, a lot of times when I feel like saying no to something, I ask myself, why am I saying no? Like, why am I so inclined to say no? And what would be the harm of saying yes? And I, so I, I spent a lot of time thinking about things, maybe overthinking them. Um, yeah, but that's a good thing. I mean, you, you know, there's two parts to trusting your gut. And I don't mean to say, like, I always trust my gut. If I think that I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not great, it's, it's not a case. That'd be fantastic. Um, it's not a case of that. It's not a case of, like, I wake up in the morning and something is calling me to do this and I just go do it. You have to have the other side of it, which is the thinking and the processing and the asking of the why. And asking of the why and challenging the why is the right way to do it. I'm not saying go out and do whatever, you know, you had a dream last night that you're supposed to do something. Isn't that like, you know, 
all kinds of crazy can come out of that. But, you know, trusting the why and challenging the why to lead to that gut decision. It doesn't mean you have to change your mind, but you can maybe alter it a little bit. Maybe you can tweak it a little bit and do something different, but still follow that gut instinct to go in this direction. And you may proceed with caution, in other words. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I say no now more than I ever have to people. And that is also something that I used to do a lot of where it's like, I have to go here. We're going there. I have to, no, no, no. I have to be there. It's like this person. Now it's, if, if I can't, if I don't have someone that I could delegate that task to, to assist me in getting there and I can't do it myself comfortably, the answer is no. So sorry. See you next time. I don't have time for it. I don't care if that comes across, you know, well, I do care. I don't want it to come across rude. I don't want to be short with people, but it's just one of those things where you only have enough time for yourself and you can't extend it too far out. And, you know, it's one of those things that people always say, like, do what makes you happy and, you know, follow this and don't do that. You know, stay on the right path. You, you, it takes a lot of practice to stay on the right path and say no to people. Saying no to people is probably the first roadblock. You can't always be the yes person. When you're always the yes person or when you're around people that are always giving you the answer yes, failure is imminent. Like it's not even an option. You're going to fail because not everything is supposed to be yes. Everything is supposed to be done with proper guidance and proper, you know, like you just said, you can't always, and I, and I, and I appreciate you saying, I challenge your, your response of always trusting your gut because it, it kind of brought out this side of the conversation. You know, you, by, by trusting your gut and not having that, uh, I guess, path to, to or, or like guidance and wonder, like, is this, is this worth it or whatever, that subconscious behind the gut feeling, you, you might end up failing. You might, you might guilt yourself into doing something and saying being that yes person. And then that's the failure part. I agree with you. It's, uh, I mean, listen, life, that's all, that's all it is, is life, life all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mm-hmm. I constantly wonder, like, how did I get to this point in my life? Mm-hmm. And it's, it is, it's just making those haphazard decisions. And some of them were the worst decisions. I made a lot of bad decisions to get to a good place. And I think that that's, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, no, you have to make those decisions. Otherwise you don't, and that, that comes from fear. You know what I mean? And sometimes you come out of things and you think, God, what if I didn't do this? What would have happened? Or thank God I did this because this is what happened. You know, yes. if you always laid, if you always just sat back and, and lived in fear for something, and that's a great little segue because I wanted to ask you that. If you always lived in fear, you're never going to get anything done. You're going to be that person that follows everybody around and never become that leader. You can't be a good leader if you have a fearful mind and an underlying tone of just, uh, I don't know, what if, what if, what if, what if. You can't say what if. You just have to do it, you know? Um, I agree with you. I think that, you know, in order to be a leader, you have to be willing to stand on your own. But I also think, like, in order to be a leader, you have to be a good follower. Like, I think there's a balance there. And I think sometimes people think leadership is about setting their own course. And sometimes it's about identifying a course that's ahead of you and not being afraid to walk the same line. Too often, I think, especially in business, there's so many people that are like, I'm a new leader. And so because I'm new or because I'm in this space, I have to do something different. I have to, I have to like shake things up. And I think Mm -hmm. that the pause, like really being able to sit in the pause is something that 
enough of us don't do, right? And so I think- Listen, I'm gonna write that down for 2024. Sit in the pause. Sit in the pause, (laughs) right? Because the skill of good leadership is, you know, is being able to like really take in what's around you and then decide what needs to happen. And sometimes nothing needs to happen. Like there, it's great to like want to do the most all the time, the best of everything. But in order to know that you're really on the right course, you have to be willing to sit and wait for things to just kind of like settle. And I see it a lot with new leaders. They just don't have the mindset to do that. Maybe it's imposter syndrome. Maybe it's, you know, like I want to make a name for myself. And so therefore I have to do so many things and be so many things. And, but there's something about that steady heartbeat. And I think when we, when I look at leaders that have inspired me, they are change makers a hundred percent, but not, but not without really taking a minute to just understand what's happening in the space, sitting in the pause and, and allowing for time, right? Like allowing the opportunity to really understand dynamics of the team, to understand the direction of the organization. And, you know, so I think, you know, being a good leader is leading, but it's also knowing when to follow. And I think too often people think it has to be one or the other. And I think you're really good. You're a really good leader when you can, when you can follow your subordinates, you know what I mean? When you can follow the team that you've put in place, because obviously you pick them. So sometimes it's worth it to let them kind of guide you right? And mm-hmm. into the decisions that need to be made, especially when we're thinking about succession planning and thinking about who's going to lead this team after I leave. If you yeah. don't give them the chance to lead you every once in a while, you'll never know. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't build strong teams without trust, respect, and confidence. And you can't have trust and respect and confidence in your team if you haven't given the chance to prove it to you. So. No, I agree. You know. It's funny. Like, um, you know, after I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, over the course of my life and especially in my career, but never have I recorded and listened to people back and listened to stories that they told me. And you, and I think at least three, possibly four out of this first season of recording, other um, women have said the exact same thing as far as sit in the pause. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything at all. Don't rush the game. Don't rush to the, don't rush to the marker. Mm-hmm. Stay where you're at if you don't know what you're doing. It doesn't mean you have to move in in any direction at all. And it doesn't have to mean that you're, that doesn't mean you're comfortable either. You could be very uncomfortable. You just need to kind of wait your turn. Wait, your, yeah. wait, wait at the red light until it turns green for you. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to make the right and go around the block and avoid this traffic. You can't. Everything has to happen the way it's supposed to happen. And that's out of my control for sure. It's a, it's in somebody's control, but it's certainly not mine. And yeah, you know, when so things are supposed, to, but it, everybody said it, and I don't think everyone yeah, realizes that everyone said it. And you only interviewed women. I wonder if men would say the same thing. I don't know. I don't think they would. Yeah, I don't know. That's so interesting. But it's but, it's and very part of me wonders. Like part of me wonders, and I do believe it genuinely. I believe it. I, I, I train people to do it. I, that's how I facilitate. It's something that I talk about. So I do believe that listening to others and, and, you know, making space and, and taking the time, I believe it. Right. But then I also just wonder, like, because sometimes you don't know, like how many of our beliefs are in doctrine, like, like, 
you said that. And then I thought back and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess, yeah, that I've heard it from mm-hmm. a few women also, but I, I don't know that I've heard it from men because, and I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. Well, I can It'll tell you I've heard it from. I can't wait to listen to season two. To find I out. know. Well, I know, I know. I've definitely heard it from at least in the last year, um, one person directly and two people, one of those people being indirectly. Um, so Nathaniel, my husband says it all the time. If you don't know where to go or you don't know what you're supposed to, don't do anything at all. And he learned that from his father. He said his dad used to tell him that all the time. And it makes so much sense. And I I, honestly, I never heard it in my life until the last year. And I probably heard it 10 different times in the last year. Some of which was just on the recording. Some of which not in person. Listen, but it makes so it. much sense. Like, no, I believe it. When a message is for you, it comes for you, Shane. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> when, it, when a message is for, is for you, it comes for you. However, however, the guides want to send it to you, they mm-hmm. send it to you. I so. just had this conversation like two days ago. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> but no, um, I feel like this podcast is turning into a uh, therapy session. Yeah, like what what uh, astrological sign is happening right now and what moon is coming tomorrow. But. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. We're still getting great conversation in. Um, Cindy, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up everywhere. Um, I'm a military brat. My parents met in Brooklyn, New York. They went to the same high school. My dad was a year ahead of my mom. Uh, I just found out a few years ago, my parents got married during my mom's senior year, which apparently was a thing. When my mom was a senior in high school, all the girls got married at Christmas break. Um, And so my parents got married. Um, New Year's Eve, 1977, 77, mm-hmm. maybe 78. I can't think of it. They're not married anymore. So I don't really pay attention to what they, they got married. And then um, my dad was in the military. He had joined the military the, the like when he graduated high school. So he graduated high school in 77. Yes, they got married in 77. And, um, and then he went to boot camp. He came back and they got married. And then they moved to Homestead. So I was born in Homestead, Florida on the air base there. It doesn't exist anymore, um, but Miami, Dade County. And then um, I lived everywhere. I spent the good majority of my youth living in Nebraska and Illinois, like corn fed states. Um, I did live in New York for a little bit of time when my dad lived in Korea. Um, and then uh, when my dad was coming near to the end of his like service, um, when he was hitting his almost 20 year mark, he decided he wanted to retire in Florida. Like, good for I, him. <laughs> I think it's kind of, um, what is it? I, I think it's kind of um, cliche, but that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to retire in Florida. So my parents, my dad paid for his move. He paid for his move to um, Florida um, mm-hmm. because the, cause the, the Air Force wouldn't allow him to move there unless he paid for it. And they bought a house in Dade County in Miami. Um, and we were only living in that house for a few years. And then Hurricane Andrew came and blew our house down. Actually, our house was the only house on the on the block that stayed standing. Um, but like a boulder flew into my brother's room and then out of my brother's room. We were in the garage, so he didn't get hit with the boulder. Um, wow. But um, my parents, two days after Hurricane Andrew, put us on a plane. That was like 1992, right? It was on a plane to Puerto Rico. We lived in Puerto Rico for six months. And then when we came back, we lived in Tampa. And so I've lived in Tampa since 1993. Um, I consider it home uh, for the most part. My husband's family, my husband grew up in Ruskin. So his family's all around here. So he doesn't have a desire um, to move. Um, and I live in what I consistently call my dream house. So I don't have a desire to move, which is why 
when I transitioned into this new role, part of my condition was that I wasn't going to move to Miami because um, that's where the corporate office is located. Um, and so I work out of my home here in Tampa, but that's the quick and easy version of where I've lived and who I am. But it makes sense because you're so cultured and some Ooh, people know for real. I, I mean, my resume. So but that is something too, shame. that it speaks to your, your leadership ability when you're the person that's consistent right. dating anyway. Get- I think what's entertaining or interesting is that you can end up in the same space, right? Like, okay, so like you and I, we are in, not in the same space, but we're in this orb, right? Mm -hmm. And like, but we came to it in completely different ways, right? We came to the business that we're in in completely different ways. We came to it at completely different times. And so I just also think it's interesting, not from a comparison standpoint, but just from like a, like in my mind, just comparing the lines. Like, look at all the ways that people travel to get to where they are. That to me is like, incredibly inspiring right like because I want I consider myself like a forever learner like I don't ever want there to be a time where I'm not curious like Mm -hmm. about what's happening around me or the people that are around me like you said oh you'll talk to anybody I'm like I'm so shy just naturally very shy but I am curious and so I always want to be that person like I always want to be that curious person that's driving you know change or innovation or even learning. I think that's one of the reasons why I love what I do because I go into a classroom and I'm talking to leaders and it's not about what I think they should be doing. It's about what they're doing and how they could be doing it better. And I feel like when I'm doing it well, I never am not learning. Like I'm never bored. Like I'm teaching a class right now that I've taught for years and years and years and years and years. And I still passionately love it. And it's not because I love the content, although the content's pretty good. Um, It's because I love the conversations that come out of it. Like, and I love the, um, like the just pure exhaustion from a job well done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself in that place. Like every Tuesday, Wednesday, when I go to these properties to teach these classes, like I'm loving that people are coming with this energy, like, they're, they're meeting me there, right? Like they're bringing in the same thing that I'm bringing they're, They really care about what we're talking about and they want to be there. Um, and so there's just like this enormous rush of like adrenaline about being with them and like learning from them and learning with them. But then there's also like this great exhaustion when it's all said and done, because, because part of what I'm doing is trying to model what, I expect them to do out in the field. And part of that is actively listening with all of myself to what they're doing, like what they're saying, so that I can really be present with them. And I think that that's that curiosity, like that drive, if we go back to that original conversation about the passion or like where I get my inspiration from, I think part of that is just naturally in me. They say like, oh, are leaders born or made? I think you can be both. I do. But I think the leaders that are born are not really born leaders. They're just born learners. And I think I that, that, yeah. And I think that like wanting to know more is a real key to, I think everything I've done. Like, I think when you look back at everything that I've done in my life, it all comes from this desire to just want to know more. I tend to, I think you said it once before, like, oh, when I first met you, you were this ball of positivity. And I don't necessarily think of myself that way. 
I don't necessarily, I see how people see that, right? There's a it's version of myself yeah. or I like an amplifier, right? I turn up the positivity mm-hmm. and I turn yep. down the realism, right? Occasionally, whenever that might happen. And so I think there's a part of me that, um, that it's not so much that I'm positive. I just, I always look at, I always look at the situation as, or the glass is half full, not to mean that I need to fill it, but that there's always room to fill it. Does that make sense? Like, like, I don't want to say, oh, it's half empty because that's just negative. But I can say I've got enough in my cup to where I can drink. It doesn't mean that there's not room for more because there is. But right now I'm good and I would be better with more or I might be better with less depending on what the scenario is. And I think that part of that has to do with the fact that like I try to emotionally only take what I need and I try to emotionally give what other people's, what other people need if I have it and I don't always have it. And I think that makes me a compassionate philanthropist um, because I think that especially with situations like organizations that are doing well for others. You don't know what you don't know, right? So like people don't know necessarily unless they look it up, unless they've talked to a survivor, they don't know about road to recovery. They don't know about look good, feel better. They don't know about all of the like programs that are funded by the money we raise. They need someone to tell them, right? They need someone to highlight it, to show them, to share in that curiosity. I had to be that person, right? Because I couldn't be the person that was asking people to raise money if I didn't understand how it was impacting not just the people that the company organization was serving, but also the community that they were in, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing with what I do with leadership, right? Like I can't ask for people to give me more than what they're getting. And I find that I'm constantly asking that, right? In, in, in just general workforces, you know, we're dealing with this really special time, I think, where, where because of the number of generations in the workplace, there's just so many conflicting work ethics. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to like get old dogs to learn new tricks and new dogs to care, right? Like, and, and I, I, I try to, I try to like, in everything I do, be curious enough to understand where they're coming from so that I can try to relate. Um, and I think I'm passionate about that. And I think that's what comes through. I, I was with a group last week. And one of the things I said when it was done, I was exhausted. And I said, it's overwhelming how much they trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, I went, like, we're only two sessions in. They've only met with me twice. Like, they don't really know me, these people. But already mm-hmm. in two sessions, they're trusting me so much that it's a little overwhelming. Like, what do I do with this? Right? Like, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I do with this? And so... I think there's a bonus to that part of me that you see, right? Like there's obviously like a yay to the the charismatic, you know, outgoing version of me, but there's also a like um there's a, it, it can also be a drawback. There's a balcony and basement to everything. Um and so sometimes, you know, being committed and being responsible sometimes means that I'm put in a position where I don't always have the answers and we're going full circle. And sometimes I have to say, I don't know. Right. It's okay to say you don't know. Right. Like I got to sit in that pause. Mm -hmm. Well, that for sure. I don't know what we were talking about. No, but it came full circle. (laughs) It came full circle. This is a great conversation. And 
I um that's one thing that I just said last night, and I am not I am not a New Year's person. I am not a New Year's Eve person. I have always worked in hospitality my entire working life. I mean, since my first real job, like 15, you go and you get a job and you get a paycheck. Like when you're old enough to start working, I've always worked in some sort of hospitality, first being a grocery store and then into restaurants, always in a restaurant. And this year, last night, was my 18th year working in hospitality, working in a restaurant bar atmosphere or food and beverage atmosphere. And I did it again last night. So everyone's like, I wish I was out. I want to go party, whatever, whatever, whatever. I can care less about that because it's what I've known to always do and be around coworkers, which some have become family, literally, as you know, Mm -hmm. for the last 18 years. And I am not a resolution person. I am not a person that wakes up on New Year's Day and says, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this week and I'm going to not drink for 30 days and lose weight and I'm going to travel more this year. It's just not what I do. I've never been that way. I kind of just follow my own path and what works for me works for me. I don't need to promise myself things that are unrealistic or anything else. But I did last night say one thing because someone's like, do you have any resolutions or do you have any regrets from the last year, the last whatever, you know, any goals? Obviously, a goal of mine, and it started last year, was to, I I more or less, I guess, would set goals and resolutions. Um, I don't know what lane I'm supposed to be in. At 36, I started a podcast. I've got a career. I've worked in that career for seven years here in Tampa. I've done it prior to that in other states and other areas and had different avenues in my hospitality career. But a goal for me, at least in 2027, or yeah, 2027, I wish it was, or three years from now already because we're 2024 a goal for me in 2024 is to do more things i guess that make me happy and part of that is saying no to people and we talked about that earlier and that is coming full circle because you have to sit in the pause if you don't sit in the pause and this is a you know i think this is probably the biggest takeaway from our conversation this whole time if you don't sit in the pause and let things settle and then simmer again and look at it and then maybe step back and let it settle again and then turn the burner up and let it simmer and then it's coming to a boil and you're kind of like okay now's the time you don't have time to properly reflect on it and that has nothing to do with trusting your gut like i said always go for it and just trust your gut it has to do with just letting the right cards Mm -hmm. fall in play you 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 have to play the cards you're dealt and you have to you know just wait there's no rush. Pump the brakes. Take your foot off the gas. You have to just let it, let it, let your cards lie. Play them as they lie. And that is one thing that I can truly say I will do in this year is saying, saying no to the things that I have to say no to and not overextending myself and not saying yes, 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 yes. And then it's my two days off and all I do is sleep. You have to be able to enjoy the time that you have and, you know, Myself personally, being just recently married and, you know, fostering this new relationship of married life and having a home that we now live in and having this, you know, we're, we're decorating our first home and we're planning our first trip as a married couple and we're doing different things. Um, you know, you have to be able to really just sit back and let things fester almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And I agree with that. You know, I agree with what you're saying. You have to, I'm I'm so happy it came to the full circle like that when you said sit in the pause, because it, it, like I said, I'm not a resolution person, but I may, certainly I am a goal person. And some will say that's the same, but you know, resolutions to me are 
it, it's a waste of time if you haven't done it before. You're not just going to wake up on New Year's Day and say, I'm going to the gym every day this week. Guess what? No. By Friday, you're probably going to be tired, you know, and you're going to say, well, that didn't every really day work. Every day this week, you're going to be exhausted. Right, right, right. <laughs> But you so, know what, though, I think that I think that part of that is also just like what the age we live in, right? Like, I feel like when mm-hmm. you live with information that comes so quickly, when you live in a scenario where everything is now, 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 like when you think back to when we were kids, like you couldn't just call somebody and do something right away. You had to like hope that they were home. Correct. Maybe you, you would leave wait. a message on their answering machine. Like mm-hmm. nothing, nothing happened immediately. Like when we were growing up, and I think that at some point, because everything is so go, 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 we just automatically assume that that's the way it's supposed to be. But it does it's not like that. That's not how it has to be. And so, yeah, I think that you're right. Like just there's, there's, there's no rush. The things that matter require you to kind of hang out with them. And that's, and those, those are usually people, right? Like the things that matter require you to like take a moment and really pause and think about what that looks like. And everything else is just, you know, I cleaned my bathroom yesterday, right? My husband was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm cleaning the bathroom. He's like, okay. Four hours later, my husband comes in. He goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm cleaning the bathroom. It took me all day to clean the bathroom. Could I clean the bathroom in two hours? I could have. Totally. Totally could have cleaned the bathroom in two hours. But I needed to pay attention to areas in the bathroom that I hadn't paid attention to before right? I needed to focus on some things. I needed to clean my makeup brushes. Like I wasn't going to do it half-assed. And so I needed to take the time to do it. And I had to really focus on it. And I think that sometimes in life, instead of a reset, what we need is just the, you know, the ability to like tidy it up. Like Mm -hmm. I have, I talked about the dream house, right? Everything has a place in this house. Does it always go in the place that it's supposed to be in? Nope. Why? Mm. Because there's there's shorthand. There's a whole bunch of quick, easy fixes in my life that are shorthand. I can leave it here. I can drop it there. It'll be fine in this corner. Like it's not in the way. But if we continue to drive through life like that, what we end up with is like a clutter-filled hallway, like I have right now, or or you know, or a place where nothing has a spot. And there's like some like peace in just going okay time to rebuild kind of like what you said you you know you guys are doing right now right okay we've had a change of a change a transition in our life what does that Mm -hmm. look like for us how do we make this home more of our home right how do we live here together and that you can't do it quick it requires being thoughtful it requires taking a moment it requires i'm sure that what a lot what, what you're doing a lot of right now is picturing okay what kind of life do we want to live in this Correct. space mm-hmm. who are we and there there's beauty in that and i don't think especially as adults and i think it's maybe just because of you know the technology that we're around all the time but there's beauty in just taking time to spend you know eight hours in the bathroom the bathroom's yeah. beautiful i don't know how long <laughs> it's gonna last but all my makeup brushes are clean and everything has a spot <laughs> and it makes me happy and I maybe could have done seven things yesterday, but I just did one thing. And you want to know what? I did one thing really, really well. And I think that that is kind of where I'm at in my legs. And it sounds like it's kind of where you're going to be this year. And that's, I'm happy for you in that space because it's about, it's about pouring into things that, you know, pour back. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, yeah, my bathroom can't fill my cup, but going into a, like, clean bathroom. But spending the time in there. Yeah. And fill my cup. And that's the thing, like, we're not in college anymore, too. We can't. Exactly. We're we're not moving out of my bedroom that I've been in for 18 years and going into a dormitory. And I bought all the stuff at Target yesterday, and it's still in the bags. We're just going to put my bed together, and I'll be at class in the morning. And this also isn't my forever home where I'm at now. But it's going to be my temporary holding space to nurture this new journey that i'm on and, well, and you can't rush and i don't place. yeah and like you know i don't want to be like oh, i'm just going to paint the walls and buy a couch like you know we're taking our time to do those things and it's not something like i said I'm, and i'll shout out one of my all-time favorite podcasters and fitness and financial gurus his name is jeremy scott i started listening to him years ago jeremy scott fitness is the app or the podcast and the app but he's on podcasts, he's on Instagram, YouTube, fitness videos, workout videos, that kind of stuff. But he also gives great interviews with financial, health, fitness, life. He talks to his wife a ton on his podcast, just giving like, you know, top 40 things to do this year to make yourself successful kind of stuff. But one thing he always says is everybody wants microwave results, but it's a crock pot, in a crock pot world. Yes. Everybody wants to get these things fast, 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 go, 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 go. And that point drives home exactly what we talked about this entire interview is you need to just sit in the pause. And if you don't know where you're going, don't go anywhere. If you don't know what to do, don't do anything because the cards will fall and you need to play them as they lie. And that's the only way you're going to get through anything in life. I am truly convinced of that because, yeah. A thousand percent. I think all of my biggest successes have happened because I took the time to mm -hmm. be there. Right. Like I, I took the time when I didn't have the time to just be. And I think that it's made all the difference, like all the difference. When I look back at my time with, um, with my time as a team leader, when I look back at my, my time as a leader with direct reports, when I look back now as I'm influencing leaders, all of it, the, the, the one thing that they all have in common is that I committed to being present in those moments. And because I committed to being present in those moments that mattered, it made all the difference. Nothing that I count as a grand achievement happened overnight or very quickly or at a fast pace. I didn't get anything, any kind of reward or even feel good about anything that happened fast. Everything that matters to me is something that I poured time into and that I waited to watch blossom. And I think that too often we're not doing that enough. And I think the more that we can find things that are important to us, those mm-hmm. things that maybe um, hold our foundation together, the more that we can identify what those things are and then pour into those things, you know, whether that be the relationship with, that we're in or whether that be, you know, creative outlets, whatever those things are, and just take the time to do them in the way that they need to be done. I think it makes all the difference in the world. Couldn't agree more. Sounds like sounds like we have a lot of sitting to do and letting things pause. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I've got a lot of mess around me. Um, <laughs> similar, similarly to you, I am unpacking. I'm packing up Christmas. Um, and, you know, my house and your house probably look very much the same, except for I have, you know, 27 pounds of Christmas tree. Yeah, no, we didn't. We talked about that earlier. I've got one tree. Yeah. It's already unplugged. It's standing in the middle of my living room and it has to get put away. 
the real tree didn't make it in the house this year, unfortunately. So I've got nothing to I've nothing to keep watering and nothing to take outside to the curb. But um, well, listen, I think this was an incredible interview for the second time. The first one was equally <laughs> was as different. amazing that will never hit the airways. Maybe I'll release it in, in snippets as teaser <laughs> teaser uh, mode for this next Things season. Things that you once said. But um, yeah, it is. Uh, it was a great New Year's Day conversation. It is yes, 2024. I promised myself I will sit in the pause a little bit more this year and challenge yes. the wise and Absolutely. be the person that says no more often to things that I don't necessarily want to or have to do. Um, and but also be the person that when your intuition tells you no, consider why it couldn't be a yes. Because there's opportunity ah, there. You yes, know? yes. I There's opportunity sure. That's there. something for sure that I will do. Because you don't really think about that, you know. But um, yeah. that's definitely something, you know, like you said, you need to ask the why, ask the question. It's about being thoughtful, know? I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's just about being thoughtful. Yeah. Right? I balance. could not agree. Balance. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, I could not agree more. Um, and for you, I can't wait to see you when you're back in Tampa, when you're back here. And, uh, this amazing city of Tampa Bay. Um, I love it here. And I, you know, again, we met seven years ago and I'm so happy we met where we did and we've become such good friends and coworkers. And um, I wish you a very healthy and happy 2024. Tell your children, I said, hello. Uh, I I will. They are big fans. They listen to the podcast. They are huge fans. (laughs) Someday I'll do a, uh, maybe I'll do a a season with, with kids and and it'll be like, uh, (laughs) What's that show? Kids say the darn I told them things. they have to come up with something. They've got to do something. <laughs> Maybe they can co-host the show with me. I was like, you can't just interview me. you because you like Fortnite. That doesn't work. Right. Listen, I just got a Nintendo Switch. Maybe that's a whole season in itself. I've never Whoa, played a Nintendo game in 20 years. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. It could be like, it could be a because whole, I have so much time whole, on like, my hands. Shane learns. Shane yes. learns and you could have kids teach you different I games. I could have kids. Yes. That would be so good, Shane. <laughs> All right. So when that happens, I'll have you back on and you could talk about your book. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. Have a great rest thank of you. your day. And, you too. Um, Happy New Year. We will talk soon. We will. We always do. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>